Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. We are continuing today with our series, Living on Purpose, which is, uh, we're looking at this, several of the parables of Jesus and uh, learning how to live purposefully and destinationally. I don't know if that's a real word. I may have just made it up, but I like it, so I'm going to stick with it. Destinationally. Doesn't that sound like a good word? Let's, let's live with that one. So, but here's what it means. Living on purpose means that we're both living with a purpose and with, uh, uh, or with purpose, excuse me, and with a purpose. So there's a little bit of a distinction there. Living with purpose is intentional living. We're intentional about living, but living with a purpose is recognizing that, we're, uh, that as Christ followers, we have a destiny that is greater than we can even imagine, that he's called us to individually, but also corporately as a group that he's wanting us to do together. You agree with that? All right, so uh, we started a few weeks back talking about the intrinsic value that each of us has before God, and that's where, where this whole idea of uh, purpose wells up out of, is the fact that we are so valued by God and so worth it, is the way we talked about it there. We are worth it to God, and he, so he had a, a, an idea for us from the beginning of the world. We talked about, uh, after that, about having a fresh start, about the fact that we get new mercies every morning to live out and reach the potential that God has for us. Last week... We talked about one of these roadblocks that we run into of unforgiveness that would keep us from the purpose and the destiny that God has for us, and we dealt with that. And, and uh, if you didn't get a chance to hear that one, I would especially ask you to go online, listen to it. Uh, I think it would be very, very helpful to every life. And then today we're going to look at another potential roadblock. We're looking at a Jesus story that seems uh, initially very unfair and offends our sense of justice when we begin to hear this story. And that's what's interesting about these parables. Jesus tells these stories stories, and then all of a sudden, we're just, sometimes we're really taken aback by what we're hearing. We're thinking, I mean, that's, that's extreme, and that seems uh, weird to me, and this one in particular seems unfair. And so we're going to get right into it as we look at this story of a landowner who needed to hire workers to work in his vineyard, looking at Matthew chapter 20, I should have told you that already, verses 1 through 16, so hurry and get there if you're not there already, or just listen to me, and I will promise to read the words that are here. Okay, here we go. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He, and listen carefully to these words here. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day, which is a day's wages, okay? And he sent them into his vineyard. Uh, verse 3, about 9 in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go out in my vineyard, and notice he changes it now. He says, I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went... He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing that he had done earlier. And then at the, verse 6, about five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others still standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Notice there's no promise of pay with the last group there. He just says, you just go work in my vineyard. And so they figure, ah, it's just an hour, let's go. So uh, verse 8 when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius or a day's wages. So when those came who were hired first, remember that probably was like six in the morning, seven in the morning, quite early, uh, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. 
When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Those of us who have read this story before uh, already anticipate things, but the first time we read it, we are in agreement with these guys, aren't we, when we first read it? The very first time you read this, you go, oh my goodness, they're right, that is not fair, that's not right at all. That, that, you know, and I would have been thinking the same way. Hey, I've worked all day long. How can you give somebody that's only worked an hour the same wage as me? It doesn't make sense. And so uh, it isn't until we hear the response of the landowner in the next couple of verses here that we begin to understand where he's coming from. Verse 13, but he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Here's the, here's the kicker. Didn't you agree to work for denarius? Kind of ends the story, doesn't it? Yeah. And then I love this response. He says, take your pay and go. I want to give the one who I was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Wow, put me in my place. Ouch. And then Jesus tags on this little line at the end. So the last will be first and the first will be last. Man, that is unfair. That is just so unfair. So my, my title today is, Is That Fair? Is That Fair? For a few moments, I want to unpack the, the, the potential roadblock of perceived fairness in life and how oftentimes we're bucking against what God wants in our lives or what he wants to do because we're bothered by this sense of fairness that we have. Let's pray about that. God, help us to, uh, as we look at this and think about it, help our minds to be expanded and our hearts to be open to everything that you want to say by your Spirit. Holy Spirit, I'm just so depending on you to transmit the important things. And Lord, any things that are just uh, words of mine that are unnecessary, God, let them just be removed right now. But But let these be the words of the Spirit to our group as we're gathered today, as our family is gathered around the table, so to speak. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and make us more like you. That's what we're after in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. So so here's that question then. Are you that kind of person that finds yourself often saying, ah, that's just not fair? Do you, right? And let's be real about it. I mean, I think a lot of us think that way or we see things that we feel are unfair. And, and so, you know, uh, to, me, to me, one of the things um, about fairness, like the most simple example I can think of for fairness is waiting in lines, right? So for instance, um, you know, I, I like the idea of a line that has a straight line with one cue where everybody's in it and then if there's more than one checker or teller or something like that, that you spread out as it becomes available at the end, that seems fair to me. Would you agree? So like years ago at Costco, that's the way it was. If you go for the hot dog after you bought some stuff there, or even if you just went for the hot dog, which is just fine, by the way. And so you get in, there used to be red tape on the floor, and you just walk along the red tape. Some people are so rebellious. They always be just outside that tape. That bother, I don't know, I just can't, can't. The tape is here for a reason, people. Just step inside the tape. Are you one of those outside the tape people? Just be real. So anyway, you get to the end of the red tape. It turned a little bit, and then maybe two or three people, maybe four, and then the next person would wait on you. And then for a while, you remember, if you go to Costco, you might remember this. They changed it, and they just let you kind of queue up between any of the checkers that were open you wanted to. And so then you start comparing yourselves to others. You go, oh, okay, that, that lady there looks like, man, she's going to be fast, just one by herself. She's not talking to anybody else. She's nothing. And you think, I'm going to get in that line because this looks like it'll be the shortest. Little did you know she had 12 kids sitting over on the tables over here, and she's ordering all kinds of stuff and smooth these and and you're stuck in that line now watching all these other 
Does that bother your sense of fairness at all? I'm bothered by these things. I do. I get, like, stay in the red line and wait on people in turn. That's the way it should be. Now they've changed things again at Costco. Have you noticed? Now they're back to one line again, but they also added these kiosks. Now suddenly my sense of fairness goes completely out the window. I walk over to these kiosks, right? Well, all these, there's like these really long lines there now. And I walk over to the kiosk and I order my hot dog and uh, pay for it online. And I get a little number and I just stand there. And, and while all these people are still waiting for somebody to wait on them, I hear 192 and I go, that's me. And I walk past all the people waiting in line. This is like the Disneyland fast pass of hot dogs. And I'm letting my secret out in case you haven't used those little kiosks yet. But let me tell you, this is glorious. And so here I am. I grab my hot dog and my cup for the drink. I turn around. I hear all the grumbling in the line as I walk by them. That's not fair. That's not fair. I go over and I put my, my spicy mustard, my sauerkraut, and my uh, onions on my hot dog as it's meant to be by God. And then I go and I eat my hot dog. And I'm happy, right? And so I love that fast pass, and so they can't argue if they didn't use the kiosk. Hey, but we all want what's fair and orderly, don't we? And, and, and we learn this early in life. I mean, our parents are, are immediately trying to teach us about fairness with our siblings or with other kids that we play with. Hey, you can't, that's not fair. Don't do that, right? Because we're appealing to this, this idea, this sense of fairness that we all hopefully uh, can instill in our children, and I get that. But, but, but what, we, what we find out is about the time you're trying to be fair, others will end up taking advantage of you. Is that true sometimes? Is that really fair? Is that fair? No. Think again about this parable. Put yourself in their shoes. Which group do you put yourself in the shoes of? Are you the person who thinks, I like the idea of working about an hour, getting a lot of pay, and going home? Or are you putting yourself in the shoes of, hey, I've put my time in, I've worked so hard, and it seems like everybody's passing me by and they're doing as well or better than me. Which shoes do you put yourself in? I imagine getting to heaven one day and walking down the streets of gold and having conversations with people that you don't know yet. This is just my way of thinking about things. And I'm walking down the streets of gold and I happen to see this guy and I say, hey, and I shake his hand. I say, my name's Sal. I received Jesus when I, you know, you may not want to know, but I'm going to tell you my story. So, uh, you know, but I received Jesus when I was 15 years old. And, uh, you know, and I, I'm not saying I lived a perfect life, but I really tried to live for the Lord as best I could. I worked hard for his kingdom, felt a call to the ministry at a young age, and began to prepare myself, got married to, uh, as, you know, with, to, to someone I loved and stayed true and faithful to her my whole life. And, 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 and then we, together, we planted a church in, in Wenatchee and, in the East Wenatchee area, and we had a great time with that. We saw a lot of souls get saved. We saw a lot of people baptized in water, baptized in the Holy Spirit. We, we worked hard for the kingdom. We saw people trained up and go out and do ministry, and they're pastoring. Some of them are missionaries. We saw all kinds of great things. What's your story? And he turns, he says, well, I didn't live so good of a life, to be honest with you. I, I actually uh, was a thief. I was actually would steal things, and one time I got caught, and... Uh, and, uh, and because of that, I was going to be executed. And, and I, even in the execution, when it came to Jesus, I ended up cursing him to his face and, and saying terrible things. But right near the end, I thought better of it. And I said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And, and he turned to me and said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And so here I am. And I go, 
I walk away, I say, okay, excuse me, I go over and find Jesus. Jesus, I just talked to this guy over there. He did absolutely nothing, right? And he gets the same, do you realize he's here in heaven? And Jesus turns to me and says, yeah, I told him he could come. You tracking with me? This is real stuff. I mean, this is what's happening here, isn't it? So, so what do you think when you hear a story like that? Well, that isn't fair is what we think. He gets the same reward as you do or I do. He didn't do anything to deserve what he got. So we experience this all the time, don't we? we, we others seem to be advanced before us. There's family situations. Others have great families that they're a part of and uh, raised by sing- some are raised by single parents or they're adopted or fostered and they just don't have the kind of upbringing other people have. It seems unfair. There's, there's school situations where you're passed over for others in sports or academics or for the solo, and, and you think, man, I just I put more work into that. I really came out ahead, but for some reason someone else was chosen ahead of me. Or friendships where someone uh, chooses someone else to be their best friend when you were hoping that things would work out between the two of you. Or there's relationships where, where you fall in love maybe as a young person and you think your heart's all in on this person, and they just pretty much think you're not that important in life and they move on and find somebody else. And you think, what just happened? How could that be? I gave my heart to that person. And, and, or there's finances. Other people have this, and I have this, and right? So we get kind of flustered by all that stuff. And most of you know uh, my youngest son, Abraham. Uh, he's the youngest of the three sons that we have. And, and so uh, he came along five years after Alex, our middle son. And so... Uh, and seven years after Andrew. So there's quite a bit of difference. So when, whenever we were raising them, and, and when he was a little guy, anytime he'd start crying and his brothers were around, we'd look directly at them and say, what'd you do? You know, immediately like, ah. And it's funny because he was just the baby all the time. And so we always kind of like, oh, you know, he's the baby. My wife uh, still calls him Little Damari. He is 6'4". He is 6'4". And she still calls him Little Damari. I think it's hilarious. But... In our family, we, um, and, and however you did it with your kids or do it with your kids, you know, don't judge me, but we uh, tried to do what we could. We, we, not a lot of wealth in our family, to be real, but, but we tried to give our kids a little bit of a head start in life, so we bought a junky Audi car. I mean, it was, had a lot of miles on it. It was pretty rough, and we let that be the car that Andrew learned to drive in, and then essentially we gave it to him. What was weird about it, though, is we didn't give it to him because he wanted to buy a different Audi, and so I, I said, I'll t- this is so, it's so stupid about the Damaris, let me tell you. We said, okay, we'll buy the Audi back from you. That's what we did. We did. We bought our own car back from Andrew, gave him money, so he could go out and put money of his own that he'd saved together and buy a nicer car. Well, that meant, that was, you know, you think that's silly, but what we did is we actually had another car for Alex to start driving now. So Alex begins to drive the Audi around. Again, this thing is really getting rough. He decides he wants a different car. Kent was gracious and sold us at a great deal uh, an old car that uh, he had, but it had low miles on it. It was a Saturn, and, and Alex goes and bashes the car and messes it all up, and so it's a mess. And, and so, you know, but, but all in all, so this is the how, and then we, we, I think at one point, we just, trying to get Alex out of the house into Australia. We gave him some more money. It's like, ah, kids. So, so we do all this stuff. And then Abraham, a few years later, comes along. Well, by then we owned this. Uh, it wasn't like a 
beautiful car. It wasn't a great car, but it was much nicer than anything the other boys had driven. We had this Subaru Outback. So we decide, hey, we'll, we'll let Abraham drive this Subaru Outback uh, as his car. And then I just start thinking, well, we should just give it to him, you know? I mean, like as he grows up and leaves the house, he should just take the Subaru. Well, immediately the older brothers are looking back and going, hey, what's up? That's not fair. You know, you gave us like this, and they're complaining a little bit. And I look at them straight-faced and st- without a glint in my eye and say, well, Abraham's our favorite. <laughs> That's just it. I've done that, literally. I'm not joking. <laughs> it shuts them down pretty quick. It really does. But, but here's the fallacy we all fall prey to, that we start thinking that, hey, we were first in line, or we did this, or we accomplished this, and what we're doing is serving God's, in serving God is somehow earning or deserving something more than what other people are doing. And, and if we think that's the case, we're sadly, sadly mistaken. We really are. Listen, let me say it like this. This is a quote from a guy named Sal Damari, so you might want to write this one down. But I'm going to read it make sure I get it right, because I wrote it pretty nicely, I think. Serving God faithfully for a lifetime is not really about earning anything, but it, it is simply a loving response to a God who has loved us first and saved us. See, our, our serving God, listen, there, I don't want to take anything away from rewards that he has for us. There is that. But I want you to understand this whole idea of getting saved and going to heaven and all that. All of that is the same for the thief on the cross as it is for Sal or anyone else in this room. And by the way, just because I've done the things that I listed doesn't mean that the prayer warrior among us is any less, you know, like in terms of the greatness of God. There's nothing great about standing up here. In fact, the Bible actually says about people who dare to stand where I stand is they'll be judged with a double judgment. So I'm already at a 50% disadvantage right off the bat. I have to work twice as hard to even catch up with you. That's, that's the truth. The Bible says that. So, so, so let, me, let me, can I just dig into another verse of Scripture, go a little bit deeper into a passage. I'm going to put it on the screen. Uh, I'm making it so easy for uh, uh, the media today because there's only one slide and this is it, so it's not going to get complicated. But this is Ephesians 2, 6 through 9. And, and let's, let me show you what I mean by digging into this Scripture just a little bit deeper today. Let me start out with uh, verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Jesus. What uh, English tense is that verse written in? Past tense. Thank you very much. It's the same in the Greek, so they did a great job of translating it. So guess what? When you receive Jesus Christ as the Savior of your life, God immediately already raised you up and seated you. Where is Jesus Christ right now? Where is He? He's at the right hand of the Father. And so when you said yes to Jesus, at that moment, God put you right beside him in Jesus Christ, that's where you are now, that's where we are. That's what this scripture is saying. We're there. It's a done deal. It happened when we believed. And then he had a reason for that. Verse 7, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace 
expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. See, there's a time coming when we will truly have the incomparable, uh, you know, uh, meaning surpassing our imagination, riches of His grace revealed to us. But, but I, and so I think my take on this, is, uh, on, on this is this. When we get to heaven and we see how amazing and intense it is to be with God and recognize there isn't one thing we ever did to earn or deserve this salvation and this wonderful heaven that we're going to enjoy together, our minds will be blown like completely blown. It'll be so amazing when we see what he has in store for us. I, you know? And um, it's interesting. There was a scripture. We used to sing a song to it when I was young. Uh, I has not seen, ears not heard. Uh, and we would leave it at that. The things that God has for us, basically. And, uh, but the fact is, but what the scripture really says, if you keep reading it, it says, but the Spirit has revealed it to us. So we're already beginning to get glimpses. Even though we haven't fully perceived it, we're getting glimpses by the Spirit. He's starting to reveal to us already the glory of what's coming for us. So, so this, this idea of uh, this, this uh, greatness, the phrase could be rendered this way. It could be, so great is His kindness that no one can imagine it. Or his kindness, which is so great that no one can describe it. There's different ways it could, be, could have been translated. But the fact is, we're getting ready to get into something, but we're already experiencing it now because we're seated in Christ. Verse 8, for it is by, here's this well-known verse, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. Boy, that, if anything was ever unfair, that's it right there, right? I mean, it's, it, it's just a gift. There's nothing you can do for it. And it's grace through faith. Grace is God doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. Remember that. You know, Grace is God saying, listen, there's no way you have a chance without me. So here it is, grace. And it's a gift. And he just gives it to us. And we go, wow. And the only way we can access that grace is through faith. We just decide, okay, I'm going to... And that's why, you know, we say there's nothing you can do to receive salvation, which is true, but, but believing is not really like a work. It's just believing. And that's really what you need it, for, to those who believe in him. They'll have everlasting life. And so that's, you know, if there is a work, which there isn't, but that would be the work. It's just believing. So it's by grace you've been saved. And we've been saved through Jesus Christ. Verse 9, not by works so that no one can boast. So, so again, it's not by works. You and I can't deserve this. We can't work for it. The only thing we can do, if you really call it anything, like I said, is just believe. Believe. And we, we're in. And then finally, verse 10. And here, here's the kicker. I think this is where it, it's kind of all, all that just is like, wow, here it is. And then he says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So what's the perp- what is the place of works? What is the place of doing stuff for God? Well, it's, notice it's after grace has already been served up on the platter. Yeah, we're already in by grace. And he says, okay, and this goes back to living on purpose. We, there's a purpose that God has for us. There's a reason he called us. There's a reason he, he said, I want you to follow me. I want you to, to and, and that he put such value in us that he would dig us up in the field and say, I'm going to give everything for this. I'll give my son for this person. There's a reason he did all that is that we, because he saw we were his handiwork. We are here, it, it, we're made by him with a purpose since before the world was even created. He had a purpose for every one of you here since before the world was created. So, so we, we ourselves, this is an, a, a quote from a Weiss Word Studies, but, and it's, the wording is a bit awkward, but listen carefully. We ourselves then, having been created anew by God and good works being the object to which that new creation looked, not the cause that led to it. 
I need to read that again. I know it's a complex sentence, but listen through it all. We ourselves then, having been created anew by God, and good works being the object to which that new creation looked, not the cause that led to it. So it wasn't the thing that our works didn't earn anything for us, but we got in because we were uh, new by God, we were renewed by God. We just passed a holiday called Labor Day, and, uh, and it's a day to celebrate hard work, and that's great, and it's a good thing. I think any time an extra day off is, we're all in, right? Okay, got an amen there. And uh, there's nothing wrong with hard work, and in fact, there's nothing wrong with hard work in the kingdom. I'm not trying to make a case for the lack of working hard for God, uh, but it's the idea of what you think you're going to get out of that hard work. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, do you think you're earning something with God or deserving something of God because you do what you're asked to do? I'm just being real, okay? So, so th- this is what we're talking about when we talk about this living on purpose or living with purpose, living with a goal in mind, living for a destiny, living intentionally. God is not opposed to hard work. He's pleased with those who, who work consistently and labor and faithfully over the years. He likes all that stuff. There's, not, there's nothing putting all that down. But when it comes to salvation and especially this idea of comparing ourselves to others, this is where it comes down to. Thinking we've done more, so we deserve more. At that point, God says, eh, you lost me there. That's not what this is about. Again, remember that quote by Sal Damari. It's a response. <laughs> it's a response to what God has done for us. Now, because I'm kind of starting to land this plane a little bit here, but because we sin, we tend to disqualify ourselves and think God couldn't possibly love me or care for me or... And some people don't, didn't even come to church today because they thought to themselves, you know, God, God is angry with me. I've messed up. I've screwed up. I can't go there. They feel like coming here is like getting closer to God and that God has, doesn't want anything to do with them, that he's angry with them. You understand, you felt those feelings before. All of us have felt that because the devil's out there whispering it constantly into our ears, trying to make us think we're not worthy. We're not worthy. And by the way, if it was up to us doing it on our own, we wouldn't be worthy. But Jesus Christ made us worthy. So you can't be unworthy because then Jesus Christ would have to be unworthy. All right? And that's not going to happen ever. So church is always a safe place and a good place to be. The presence of God is always where we want to go. Yes, absolutely. So here's the, here's the hope that we're looking for, though, if we're, we're feeling like, uh, you know, that we're dealing with guilt and shame in our life, or, uh, uh, you know, some people might even have made it today, but you feel like, oh, I'm just hanging by a thread, and, and the condemn, condemnation of what we've done and what we've, uh, what we've been involved in begins to crush us. But, but here's what, what I want to tell you, I want to tell you, because if you're looking for life to be fair, life isn't fair. It just isn't. You know, the, the person who has a terrible upbringing or abusive parents uh, uh, or absent parents is sitting next to the one today who had an ideal and loving parents. The person who fell in love and married uh, someone who turned out to be a horrible person and left them for someone else is sitting next to a person who's been married 40, 50 years in a loving and wonderful relationship. The person who's struggling with health problems that, that in some cases are genetic, like you did nothing to deserve that, right? And, and they're, they're debilitating at times. They're sitting next to a person who can eat anything they want and, you know, don't gain a pound, and they haven't had a cold in 20 years, you know. What? Right? 
The person who's worked hard their whole life has barely gotten by financially sitting next to someone whose parents left them millions of dollars. And you just kind of like, you know, right? And you say, that's not fair. Say it with me. That's not fair. That's not fair. I've got an answer for you. Worship team, come on up. As they're moving, sometimes I know it gets distracting. I want to just ask you to just try to pay attention. We're going to receive communion in just a moment as we come to this conclusion. But it's, it, it does appear that it's not fair. And so we see these apparent injustices and we think, here's where we tend to go. And, and you know, let's be real. We've probably all thought this before. At some point we think, well, that's God's fault. Actually, it's God who's unfair. He's the one who paid the guys who only worked an hour the same amount as someone who worked all day and that bore the heat of the sun. So we think, well, it's God that's not fair. And can I just agree with that statement and say, that's true, God's not fair. And truth is, we better actually thank Him that He's not fair. We ought to just be thankful to God that He's not fair because if He was fair, we would all be deserving of eternal fire and condemnation from God. But God saw us standing around and, and one day and said, come on, i got some work for you to do in my vineyard. You may have come to church and thought, I've messed up so much with God. You might be thinking you've gone too far and you've done too much wrong, but the truth is that although we've done awful things and repeated them over and over, God has new mercies every day. And we don't deserve new mercies. Would you agree with that? Thank God He's not fair. Because <laughs> I don't deserve that. And that grace that we talked about in Ephesians. It's scandalous. It's a, that's a great word for it. It, it. And it's outrageous in a great way, in the best sense. It's extreme and it reaches further than we think. And, and when we think about it from God's perspective, honestly, it's unfair. He didn't deserve to have to go through all that because we messed up. But aren't you glad today for that unfairness? Man, trust me, we don't want what's fair. We really don't. Because I'll tell you what isn't fair. It isn't fair that Jesus Christ, who never did anything wrong, who never even sinned once, had to be beaten mercilessly for your sins and my sins. That's not fair. It isn't fair that Jesus Christ, who only ever healed others and helped people and did what He could and fed people, had a crown of thorns pressed down so hard into His skull that drops of blood began to flow down His face for my transgressions, for your transgressions. That's not fair. It isn't fair that Jesus Christ, who fed the hungry and spoke words of life to the multitudes, was nailed to a cross for my offenses, for your offenses. That's not fair. And it isn't fair that Jesus Christ, who didn't condemn the woman caught in adultery and told his disciples to let the little children come to him, was mocked and ridiculed while he hung there dying on that cross for, for my wrongdoing, for your wrongdoing. Let's stand together. You want to talk about fair, I'll tell you what would have been fair. It would have been fair if you and I had to suffer for the wrong we'd done, but Jesus suffered for us. Aren't you glad? Can we just thank God right now? Let's just thank Him. Lord, thank You. Thank You that You suffered for me. Thank You that You took all that on Yourself. Thank You that I didn't have to suffer for my own sins, but You did for me. Oh God, I know it wasn't fair, but I thank You that You were willing to do it. So aren't you glad life isn't fair today, church? Aren't you glad that God gives us the fast pass? <laughs> You know, we get to skip all the junk and go right to the beginning and receive the reward of eternal life and Him in us and loving us and caring for us. He loves you so much. He wants to bless your life in incredible ways. 
He wants to give you the desires of your heart. Other people might come along and say, why is God blessing you? And you, you know, you can just turn to them and say, because I'm his favorite. <laughs> and it's okay, because he feels that way about you. We're going to come to this table today. And uh, this is how, let me explain what we're going to do. And the reason I want to do it this way is because I want everybody to have uh, some time of reflection. When, in our rooted group last night, we were talking, and uh, Shelby, who's, she worked late last night. She couldn't be here this morning, but uh, she's a sweetheart. She got saved this last Easter Sunday in our church, and, uh, and she's growing well in the Lord. She's doing great, and she's part of rooted. Uh, but she, she just said to me, you know, Pastor Sal, when you said that time that um, you encouraged us to come to the front and, and pray and receive prayer, she said, I, was, I didn't want to do it, but I, I decided to listen to what you said, and I did what you said, and I moved. And she said, when I moved, I began to feel what you were talking about, how something different happened in me. Something changed. And so today, I'm just going to ask everybody, and, and this, so that's why communion is going to be at the front. You're going to serve yourselves. We're going to, we got the lids off already. We're ready to go. But all, I, after we pray, I'm just going to encourage you to come as a family or as an individual. Come to the front and receive the bread and receive the cup right there at the table. And then let's just fill this altar with thankful hearts of people that say, thank you, God, that life wasn't fair, because if it was, I'd be deserving of condemnation. But as it is, I stand here holy, without blame, before a loving God, Right? And so can we just show some thanksgiving? But that idea of moving out from where we are to receive communion and also spend some time praying and seeking God, let that be how we finish up. Let, let, let this altar call be like coming home to, to the Heavenly Father who's reaching out His arms to you right now and saying, I just want to... And listen, if, you, if the Heavenly Father opens up His arms, there's one thing left for us to do, and that's what? Run into His arms, Right? And so, so we're going to do that in just a moment here. And I mean that. Just come, come to the Lord by moving physically out of your location. Receive communion. Thank the Lord for His blood. Thank the Lord for His body on the cross. But also just coming to the Father and rushing into His arms. Thank you, Lord, for, for these reminders, the bread, the cup, that tell us that you suffered what was so unfair for you to suffer, but you did it so that we could have that eternal life. And we're all ultimately like those who came at the last hour, really, when it's all said and done. We didn't deserve it, but you paid full price. Woo! Thank you, Lord. Man, we received the full reward. I'm so grateful, Lord. And so, God, I thank you for that. For everyone here, Lord, if anyone's still feeling beaten and unworthy in any way, would you show them how outrageous and how scandalous that grace is? How, for it is by grace that we've been saved. It's not of ourselves. We couldn't ever have done anything to deserve this. You did it all for us. Wow, thank you, Lord. Thank you that it isn't fair, but God, we're recipients of the blessings of a, of a Savior that would die for us on the cross. So we receive this bread and this cup today in the name of Jesus with grateful hearts, with loving hearts. Thank you, Lord. Let's come to His arms today. Thank you for listening to Praise Center Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.